Seton Hall is down by 13. They come back to win 84 to 72. A balanced act all night for Shaheen Holloway with the foul trouble the Pirates were in. But his team has now won seven of their last nine games since beginning Big E's play 0-3. And it's a season sweep of rival St. John's. That was Andrew Catalan of CBS Sports on the call last night for Seton Hall's 84-72 win over St. John's at Carneseca Arena. A season sweep indeed for Seton Hall. Seton Hall and St. John's, two teams heading in opposite directions as we begin February. Hello and welcome to episode 54 of the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. I'm Brian DiNovellis, and as you heard Andrew say, Seton Hall has now won seven of its last nine games, six of seven. They're at seven and five in the Big East. Who would have thought that after they started 0-3, 14-9 overall, and they stand one game ahead of UConn in fifth place. As for St. John's, their struggles continue. They've lost three of four. They're four and eight in the Big East. Eighth place, just one game ahead of Butler and DePaul. No one, and I mean no one, saw this coming in December for this team. Here to make sense of it all is the aforementioned Andrew Catalan from CBS Sports. Andrew, how was your trip to Queens last night, my friend? <laughs> it was a long trip, Brian. That was a long game, but... uh you know, a lot of fun in that gym. There's always a lot of energy in there. Sometimes it works against St. John's, but I thought Seton Hall did a great job of handling it when they were down early. Shaheen Holloway did a fantastic job with all the foul trouble, and uh, it's a great rivalry. I was uh, I was honored to be a part of it. And you and Steve Lapis obviously do do such a great job. It's like uh, Abbott and Costello there. You know, you joined <laughs> at the hip, and you guys work off each other so well, Andrew. So you said it right there. Uh, adjustments made by Shaheen Holloway and maybe not by Mike Anderson. You know, things are going well for St. John's. We've seen a lot of St. John's this year. And I, I think this was really a microcosm for both teams, right? St. John's jumping out early, Seton Hall digging a big hole and then St. John's falling apart and Seton Hall rising up. Would you agree? Yeah, I think you say it well. I mean, it's really been uh, there's been a lot of games like that for each team. You look at Seton Hall, as you know, down 17 against UConn coming back to win. And St. John's has, has had some trouble holding leads this year. Um, you know, obviously, I think the Andre Curbelo ejection really hurt them. Uh, Pasha Alexander was forced to play a lot uh, after that. And after having not played the last two games, I think maybe, you know, that caught up to them a little bit. And Curbelo is a different type of player that, that maybe could have sparked them when they needed something down the stretch. So, yeah, for Seton Hall, I think it's uh, it's a great sign. They've been able to put things together, like you said, after starting 0-3 in the Big East. And and St. John's has a, has a tough road ahead if they're going to try to get hot going into the Big East tournament. Yeah, just get some sense of anything. So we're, I want to talk about both teams, obviously. We keep talking about that key moment in the game with Curbelo. So they kind of got tangled up, right? Um, it's a tight ball game, two-point game. I believe it was 46-44. Curbelo is coming down, and he and, and Defo kind of get tangled up. Curbelo throws the ball, a little, little, you know, toss in the back, and the officials come in. Maybe they could have called something they didn't. But then that carries over. Into the next play, Curbelo scores. I think that's what made it 46-44. Uh, 
And then all hell breaks loose. I don't know what was said. Jeffrey Anderson gave double technicals. Corbello slams the, the, the goggles to the ground, gets another technical. He's ejected. What did you and Steve see on that play? Yeah, you retold it well. I mean, obviously there was that throw off the back where nothing was called, and I thought that was good. Like, let's, hey, guys, let's just not do this. Okay. But then it was the very next play after the bucket, Corbello coming back down the other way, they bumped into each other, him and Nadefo. Now, who mm. bumped into who? That, I don't know. But obviously there was contact. There had already been that prior play. So I think it was warranted that both players got a technical. The, the officials had made it clear the way they called that game. They didn't want any pushing and shoving. They know there's a lot of connections between these two schools, people from the same hometown, same high school, same AAU program. They didn't want anything getting out of hand. So they call the double technicals. And then Curbelo flipped out, took his glasses off, and chucked them to the ground. And Brian O'Connell had no choice but to give him another technical foul. I mean, I think that's the right call. You can't take your glasses and throw them, let alone kind of in the direction of O'Connell. Mm. Um, so, uh, you know, Curbelo can't do that. You, you can't, you can't do that to your team. And I thought that obviously the game changed in a big way after that. Seton Hall was able to take off. Now, whether that was all because of Curbelo not playing, I don't know, but it certainly seemed like that was the turning point in the game for the Pirates. 100%. So Al Dawes hits two free throws, we're tied. And then St. John's actually goes up 53-46. So you're thinking, oh, maybe the technical worked out in their favor. And then, you know, Seton Hall goes on a run from there and, and, and takes off, like you said. In my opinion, Curbelo had dictated pace. It's not like he was, you know, scoring 15 points, but his pace of play, his tempo was driving the St. John's bus. And without him there, you alluded to, you alluded to it earlier, Andrew. It forces Posh Alexander, who's coming off an ankle sprain, to be able to handle the duties and St. John's just seemed to lose, lose everything they had. Yeah. I think that, you know, Curbelo is a key part of this team when he's playing well. Now he had not played well the three games prior to the Seton Hall game. He had only at, he'd been in single digits, all three, eight turnovers, but he got off to a pretty good start in that game. A couple of sloppy turnovers, but he's still a guy that kind of makes their offense move. And I think that they lost that. And then, they didn't really have the answer when Seton Hall responded. I think that's what it's all about. There's going to be runs in these games. You said it, St. John's pulled away a little bit, but then Seton Hall went on a run, and St. John's didn't have anything to counter that. And I think maybe a guy like Curbelo could have helped in a spot like that. How about Al Dawes? Uh, I was watching the first half, and I thought St. John's did a tremendous job. You could see Dawes was frustrated. I believe he was one for seven in the first half. And like every good shooter, somehow they feel like the next one's going in. Did you see that coming when, when he hits those back-to-back -back threes and, and St. John's calls a timeout? I think he ended up with 18 of his 21 in the second half, Andrew. What, what did you think clicked for him, and uh, did you see that coming? Yeah, no, you know, I mentioned this on the air, Brian. It was kind of neat what happened. It was, I, I can't remember the exact moment, but it was maybe the first media timeout of the second half and the teams were going to their benches. And Shaheen Holloway came out 
to the three-point line and grabbed Dawes. And he was he was kind of motioning like when you get the ball, pump fake and just put it up. He he was he was simulating the motion of a straightaway three-pointer. And then right out of that timeout, from that almost same exact location, Dawes hit a three. I thought it was really neat. You don't see coaches during those media timeouts come out on the floor and and instruct very often. Sometimes you might see an assistant coach do that, but I thought it was noteworthy that Holloway did that. And after that moment, Dawes was on fire. So I don't want to give it all to Holloway. Obviously, Dawes got it going, but I thought that was a really neat moment that broadcasting a game, and that's why broadcasters should be at games, because if you're calling it from a monitor miles away, you never would have seen that. But that was right in front of us. And I thought that was a big thing in, in that game when Dawes ended up catching fire. I, you bring, bring up an excellent point, Andrew. I was just talking about this with a friend of mine the other day about during COVID, we saw, right, we saw announcers having to broadcast from their own homes and they weren't at the arenas and, and you don't capture all of that. Is that behind us now? I mean, are you and Steve going to every game in person? Steve and I have been in every game the last couple of years. Now, I know not all networks do that, um, but we do. And I think it's great that CBS does that. Um, you know, I think the majority of the games, the announcers are there. And it makes a huge difference. I mean, there's just little things that, you know, even if it's just the officials coming over and talking to you to explain why Curbelo was ejected, that type of stuff you miss by not being there. Excellent point. So, Seton Hall is going on a run. It wasn't just Al Dawes, though, right? Kaderi Richmond, uh, Jameer Harris, who has struggled mightily this year, chipped in with a three we saw in the first half. Jaquan Sanders, who had limit, a limited role, hit a three. Trey Jackson. So I think it was the three ball and Seton Hall's zone defense that, that made the difference in the second half. Let's talk about the threes first. Yeah, you know, I think that... Um... You know, the Seton Hall team, as you know, they average less than six threes made per game, which, you know, is 10th in the Big East. It's not a huge part of their repertoire. But when we talked with Shaheen on Tuesday, the day before the game, one of the things he pointed out was we got to get Jameer Harris going. We, we've got to get him back on track. Obviously, it's been a very difficult season for him, especially compared to what he did last year. I thought that was a, a really underrated part of the Seton Hall win was Harris getting his shot going a little bit. Um, I think that they need him to turn it on here down the stretch. Just that threat, that three-point threat. Because you know Dawes can do it, and we certainly saw that last night. But another threat off the bench like Harris, like what he brought last year, I think, I think that would really help Seton Hall try to get over the hump and into the tournament. Yeah, one thing in this day and age, you cannot have enough shooters, Andrew. And Seton Hall at times doesn't have many of them if at all. So last night, it seemed to click from multiple levels. You and, and Coach Lapis did an excellent job bringing out the zone last night. Seton Hall has uh, gone to a matchup zone at times this year. They did it in the first game against Seton Hall, against St. John's. And I read afterward, I don't know if you saw these comments by Holloway. He said because his players, because Ndefo was in foul trouble, because Tyrese Samuel was in foul trouble, and Oda Kale, he had to go with other guys who weren't necessarily used to going to that matchup zone. And the assistants were telling him, we got to do it. We got to do it. And finally he did it. 
what did you think of that call? And and what did you think of the way St. John's didn't handle that zone? Yeah, you know, I got to give my partner, Coach Lapis, a lot of credit. He was on that from the start, as you pointed out. And it was a great point. I mean, soon thereafter, they went to it. And, you know, we when the game ended, Shaheen was coming over to talk to Seton Hall Radio, Gary Cohen and Dave Popkin. And on the way, he, he swung by our table, really to say hi to Coach Lapis. And Coach Lapis congratulated him. And Lapis said, hey, great job going to that zone and adjusting with all the, the, the foul trouble you had. And Shaheen's kind of looked at him and laughed and said, what choice did I have, right? I mean, he kind of had to <laughs> do something with all the foul trouble he had. Um, but I thought the zone worked exactly the way that Lapis envisioned it would work. And I'm sure Shaheen was very ple- uh, pleasantly surprised as to how it worked. And, you know, St. John's doesn't have a ton of three-point shooters. And, you know, A.J. Storr had a big first half, but he was very quiet in the second half. He's the best three-point shooter in the Big East by percentage. And, and that really hurt them. They didn't have a way a way to turn. Curbelo wasn't in there to make shots. And, you know, David Jones is a good player, but he's a little bit hot and cold. So I think the zone worked great. And I give Seton Hall and Holloway a ton of credit for the adjustments they made especially in the second half. And Joel Soriano, who I am a huge fan of, and why not, right? He is he has put himself right up there with the best big men in the Big East in the country with 18 double-doubles. This is a guy who I think is a lock for first-team All-Big East. He's been the one bright spot, the one consistent spot, but yet the last two games against Georgetown, he struggled mightily. Last night, he struggled mightily. You did an excellent job of pointing out at 6:29 left in the game and I looked at it when looked at the clock when you mentioned it that was his first field goal of the game Andrew we're talking 33 and a half minutes without scoring a field goal was it what Seton Hall did or was it what Soriano has not done in this slump yeah that's a great question I think it's probably a combination of both I mean I, I think that you know he's been playing close to 30 minutes a game this year and, you know, these are the quote unquote dog days uh, of the season. And, and maybe he's a little tired right now. And also, you know, you, you look at the Seton Hall roster and the foul trouble, you know, they St. John should have had an advantage inside, um, but it just never materialized. And Soriano had an off night. So I give Trey Jackson a lot of credit, Tyree Samuel, a lot of credit defensively. Those guys were mixed up with Soriano throughout the night on different occasions and, they held their own, but, you know, I think Soriano, I agree with you, is a tremendous story. He's first team all Big East, but he's just in a little bit of a rut right now, and, and St. John's needs to get him going again. So what, in your opinion, is wrong with St. John's? Did we overestimate this team? Did, were expectations too high like they were last year, or is something not clicking? Mike Anderson said after the game that, you know, they're just not playing – the way he wants this team to play. And I say, well, Mike, we're, you know, 20 something games into the season. Why aren't they playing the way you want them to play? What are you and coach Lapis seeing from this team that's missing? Yeah. You know, we were, we were with them last Wednesday in Creighton when they got blown out 104 76. Now Posh Alexander did not play in that game, but they were flat. They were just completely flat. There wasn't a lot of energy or spark. And maybe that's what they miss in Posh, providing that spark, especially on the defensive end. But to give up 104 points, now I think Creighton's very good, but you know, that was a really disappointing performance. Almost 
Lost to Georgetown at the Garden. Now, Georgetown's playing hard. I thought that was a, a big win for St. John's to come away with that. But they, they just don't seem to have any momentum, Brian. They can't seem to string together two, three good games in a row. And, uh, you know, it's tough right now. they got another tough matchup coming up against Xavier. Staying on the road. They're not coming home before they play Butler. Um, so this is a team that right in the midst of February, look, for them right now, they got to figure out a way to get hot going into the Big East tournament. And hopefully Mike Anderson, for their sake, can figure that out. Yeah, outside of winning the Big East tournament, this team is in is in jeopardy. They're, they're, they're in big trouble. Meanwhile, Seton Hall is trending up. Shaheen Holloway ha- continues to push the right buttons with this team. What do you think of the job that he's done having limited practice time through injuries over the summer, starting out the season the way they did, all these new faces, you know, trying to mold Kaderi Richmond into the point guard that he wants him to be, that Jim Beheim couldn't get into what he wanted him to be. Uh, a lot of things going on here, and yet somehow Shaheen's putting it all together, and they seem to be buying in where St. John's is not buying into what their coach is preaching. Yeah, you know, we, we talked with Shaheen, I mentioned on Tuesday, and you know, he said it's been an emotional roller coaster the last year. And, and just think about, for him, the incredible run at St. Peter's, then going to your alma mater, then you don't have everyone over the summer because they're hurt. And now, like, every game, like, had to play St. Peter's. Well, that's an emotional game. Goes back to Queens. Uh, it's just, it seems like, as he said, there's, like, a first time, for a first time against Mammoth, first time. It just there was a lot of first times for him. And I think that maybe now a lot of that is in the rearview mirror. And not that he wasn't focused before, because I think he's done a tremendous job. But I just think that now maybe it's basketball. There's not like everyone, all these storylines about, oh, it's now Shaheen against this team or that team. Mm. You know, he was he made it very clear last night. It wasn't him going back to Queens. It was this team that was playing in Queens. I think he's done a great job, and I think, you know, it takes time with a first-year coach to, to learn his players and vice versa, but it seems like now that is happening, and I give a lot of credit to Nadefo because, you know, he's a guy that can carry the message in the locker room for Holloway. He was with him at St. Peter's. He knows the way that he wants things to be run, and sometimes I think it helps to have a player help carry on that message and not just the head coach. So I think, as you said, they're trending in the right direction. They're going to have some big opportunities coming up to get to add to their, you know, their resume for the tournament. And this is a team that I expect to be right in it to the end. And if not get into the NCAA tournament, they have some teams at home coming up, right? Losing at Creighton, losing at Xavier by, you know, they had a chance to win that game. Those two teams will be coming in in the next couple of weeks. Xavier without Zach Fremantle, that could hurt them. Uh, Villanova twice, which could be very interesting because now they're healthy and they have Justin Moore. But there are certainly games there against highly ranked teams or highly ranked net teams uh, and opportunities for Seton Hall to win. So, Andrew, what's next on your slate as we look ahead to the weekend and, and the month of February? Yeah, so I'm excited because Steve and I do a lot of Big East games, which I that that you know I, you you know me. I grew up in New Jersey. I watched the Big East as a kid, and I still Syracuse. love Big. Yeah, well, back then they were in the Big East, <laughs> <laughs> not anymore. 
Um, so yeah, so I'm, I'm all around. I'm at, you know, next week I've got Georgetown at Providence. I've got Butler at Villanova on Valentine's day. I've got uh, a Xavier game at home against DePaul. I've got St. John's and Georgetown again in Washington. So, and I'll see UConn in early March against DePaul. So I'm excited. I love it. It's great when I can get my car and drive to these games. And uh, when you, when you're in one league, it kind of helps you understand a little bit, you know, what's going on and, and you're kind of up to speed on what's, what's uh, the latest in the league. So that helps as well. So with all the games that you did would still one month to go, about five weeks left in the season, who would be your player of the year in the big East at this moment? Wow. That's a good one. Um, I'm very high on Creighton. Now, is Ryan Kalkbrenner the player of the year? He missed three games. I think Creighton is a phenomenal team. Sule Boom is having a fantastic season. Um, I think that this race is, uh, you know, you can make a case for probably four or five guys right now. And I think it'll the dust will kind of settle in March. But, I, the, you know, the way that Kalkbrenner the way people play offense is noteworthy to me. And I think Creighton's a very dangerous team if they can stay on this this pace heading into March. I mean, they got five guys that average 10 points, 11 points a game. Uh, that That's a really well-coached team. And I think Xavier and Marquette are terrific. I mean, there's a lot of really good teams in the Big East, but I, Creighton's one that I'm going to be closely watching over the next month. And I believe you're right. When healthy – that team is as good as any team in the country. That team is as good as really their starting five. Uh, I believe at one point, and it still might be the case, the only team that has all five starters and double figures. Yeah, all five averaging 11 points per game, which I think is the, they were the only team last week in the country to have five players averaging 11 points or better. It's a tough place to play. I was there last Saturday for the game against Xavier. It was their pink out game. It was wild what a scene it was, and, and they just blew the doors out of Xavier. So yeah, I think that just goes to show you another thing in the league this year, uh, how tough it is to win on the road. I think the stat that I had last week was 67% of home teams in the Big East are winning their conference games, which would be the third best in Big East history. And there's some tough buildings to play in. So anytime you get a win on a road, now Seton Hall's won four straight on the road in the Big East. I don't care where it is or who it's against. That's impressive. I, I, I would agree 100%. They're one of only, I think, a handful, maybe five teams in the Big East that have a winning record on the road overall. They're five and four after picking up that road win last night. Two more names, of course, we got to throw out there. Of course, Adama Sinogo and Bryce Hopkins. So there's two more players that you can – throw into the mix for player of the year. I think it's wide open, Andrew, just like you said. Uh, things will work themselves out in the next few weeks. Enjoy the calls. Enjoy the games with your partner, Steve Lapis. I know we'll be watching and listening. And, hey, it's always great to see you. The pride of Milburn High School and Syracuse. <laughs> Andrew Catalan, CBS Sports. Thank you. Brian, thank you. Always great to be with you. All right. The great Andrew Catalan does a fantastic job on CBS Sports with his longtime partner, former Villanova coach, Steve Lapis. Interesting points that he brings up, the nuances that you don't see during timeouts, like Shaheen Holloway walking Al Dawes out to that spot and motioning like he's shooting. And a minute later, there's Dawes from that very spot. Who knows what he said? 
Dawes still had to hit the shot, but a little foreshadowing there. Amazing stuff. So on one end, we have Seton Hall. On the other end, there's St. John's. In summary, I don't know how Mike Anderson survives this because at this point, like I said, they have to win the Big East tournament to get to the NCAAs. And in a year where it might be NCAA or bust for Mike Anderson, he's been a big bust, a big bust. So I don't know how he survives this outside of a miraculous run. They are much closer to the basement of the Big East than they are to the top. And Mike Anderson will, because of a very weak non-conference schedule, he will continue his streak of consecutive winning seasons at 21 or 22, right? He's never had a losing season as a head coach in Division One. That's amazing. But you know what? In this day and age, if you're not getting to the NCAA tournament in any of your first four years at a school like St. John's, you're one foot out the door. I'm sorry. So that's where Mike Anderson and St. John stands, not looking good for them. On the other side, Seton Hall has put itself in prime position. They must beat DePaul on Sunday. No ifs, ands, or buts. You cannot lose that game if you want to get to the NCAA tournament. That would get them to 8-5, and five, hosting a huge game against Creighton on Wednesday. You heard Andrew Catalan say he loves that team. I don't know if it's a good matchup for Seton Hall. Look, a lot of teams go into Creighton and get blown out. A lot of teams go on the road across the country and get blown out. If Creighton is clicking across the board, that is a mighty tall order. But you also heard Andrew say almost 70% of the teams in the Big East are winning their home games. So maybe Seton Hall has a slight chance there. Of course they do. Beat DePaul, go to eight and five. And then if they beat Creighton, I think you will see across the board, all the bracketologists put Seton Hall in to their projected field of 68. Then you can start dreaming about a top four spot in the Big East. I know I'm getting ahead of myself, but that would put them one game in the loss column from Creighton. Now on the other side, if they beat DePaul and lose to Creighton, you're talking about eight and six, two games left to play against Villanova, one game at UConn. Likely they're looking at six, seven, fighting for sixth with UConn, trying to hold off Villanova for seven, right? You don't want to slip into that eight, nine game, but the goal for Seton Hall is just win as many games as you can. And that number that I said, Get to 12 wins in the Big East. Finish 12 and 8. That would put them at 19 wins overall. I think that would put them in. 11 and 9 and 18 wins. I think they still have some work to do in the Big East tournament, but it would certainly put them on the bubble, in my opinion. Those are the numbers that Seton Hall can look at at this point. 12 wins or 11 wins. 12 and 8 in the Big East or 11 and 9. You finish in the top five or six, if you're in that conversation, that should be good enough. We shall see. It's a big weekend of college hoops in the tri-state. Here are some games to follow. 
Friday night in the Ivy League. Cornell at Princeton. Saturday, Rutgers hosting. It's a home game at MSG. Rutgers hosting Michigan State, which to me is a crock. All right, taking a home game away from Rutgers. I've said this before. How about taking a home game away from Michigan and throwing them at the Palace? Or taking a home game from Maryland and forcing them to play in Georgetown's home court, right? Or taking a home game away from Tom Izzo in Michigan State. Have them play a home game at Madison Square Garden. Why does it always seem to be Rutgers? Well, we'll see how the Scarlet Knights handle it. We'll see if they can get their revenge on Michigan State Saturday at noon. Two more games to be on the lookout this weekend. Wagner at Fairleigh Dickinson is a fascinating matchup in the NEC. The NEC's highest scoring team in Fairleigh Dickinson against the NEC's best defensive team in Wagner. And then Sunday, Fordham looking to climb at the Atlantic 10 at Richmond. Those are the big games on tap here. And of course, Seton Hall hosting DePaul on Sunday at noon. Enjoy the games, everyone. My thanks to Andrew Catalan of CBS Sports. What a great guest he is and always is. Remember to share the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast with your friends. Give us a review and keep spreading the message. Thanks for listening to the Tri-State College Basketball Podcast. So long.